Well, hello everyone and welcome to Gospel Community Providence. We are a small community of Jesus followers in Providence, Rhode Island. Our goal in life is to be the family of God, redeemed and transformed by Jesus, living out God's mission in our culture. You're listening to content created specifically for our church community, and the thoughts and teachings that you'll find here come from a study of the Bible that is informed by some of the best thinkers and followers of Jesus today and throughout church history. Just a heads up, you may hear a variety of voices and distractions and noises in the background. This is because we are a church of families with real lives full of children, noise, and interruptions. We celebrate these noises, however, because they remind us that real life is not a perfectly curated moment, but is full of opportunities to worship Jesus through the messy, unflattering, and mundane. In addition to this, you may hear the voices and comments of various audience members throughout the teaching. While this often causes our time to go a little long, it also deepens and enriches our time together as we discuss what we are learning and reflect on how to live it out. So bear with us. We are not professionals, but we are imperfect people who love and serve a perfect God. Let's go. This is uh, Jay or What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the word is the enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously, jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You're double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. To one who speaks against a brother or a judge brother speaks evil against the and judges all. Judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Amen. Thank you, Zeke. Amen. Thank you, Zeke. Um, good morning, church. Uh, I hope you were able to get outside this week. Uh, you know, every single year around this time, there's a little bit of uh, warmth that comes, a little bit of spring. Uh, we Rhode Islanders call it the false spring. Uh, false or not, I welcome it. I appreciate the warm weather. I like the break from the cold. It reminds me that real spring is coming. Uh, and it's a good opportunity just to get outside for a little bit of fresh air. Um, I, Eric and I actually uh, got to work on uh, my fence this week on Friday because uh, the weather was beautiful. And uh, earlier in the week, I had a branch come down and break a portion of my fence. And so we've replaced uh, a, a, a part of my fence on Friday. 
And, uh, you know, I've been having something weird going on with, with my, my right eye where uh, it's kind of uh, uh, um, I've been, been leaking and painful. And so I had to go see a doctor. They told me I have some sort of infection. They gave me some meds for it. And so, you know, every, I'm kind of blurry in this eye as I'm trying to use power tools and work. Uh, and as we're working, I, I, at one point I turn around and I get poked by a tree in my good eye, okay? All of a sudden now, I'm crying out of both eyes. I'm blurry, I can't see anything. Eric is leading me around like a blind person, uh, but we somehow managed to finish the fence. It looks semi-straight, and so we're, we're good to go. But uh, if, I, uh, if I have to like, like look a little extra closely at my notes uh, this morning, it's because both eyes are currently my gimp eyes. Um, last week, uh, Eric, uh, before he t- uh, started his teaching, he asked, uh, you know, for those that are able, uh, if you are willing to, if you're able to, go ahead and keep your cameras on for the teaching portion. It is nice to be able to see faces and see the, uh, the interaction. It's okay if you are, uh, if, if there's chaos going on and if you can't keep your camera on, that's totally fine. Uh, but I just want to encourage you, if you are able to, go ahead and keep that on. Um, last week, we kicked off our peacemaking series. Right. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Uh, and so Eric uh, kicked us off by uh, by defining uh, what biblical peace is. If you remember, um, he was talking about how uh, biblical peace is not just the absence of conflict. Biblical peace is actually the presence of wholeness and fullness within us. Right, and we spent some time in Colossians chapter one, just examining the this this beautiful passage, which is a poem, talking about how Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the creator and sustainer of all things, and He has enabled us to have peace with God by His death on the cross. Right, and so therefore, church, since we have uh, been made right with God, since God in Christ has made peace. With us, we ought to also join him in being peacemakers. Right, if you're sitting here this morning uh, and your uh, and the Holy Spirit is not moving your your heart towards peacemaking, if the Holy Spirit is not working in your heart and and pointing out areas where you need to be a peacemaker, uh, that could be a problem. Just so you know, right? That could be a sign that that the Holy Spirit has some work to do in your heart. Uh, and we want to be a part of that process together because uh, we learn in Matthew that children of God, God are called to be peacemakers. Right? And if you've been around people for any period of time, you know that that is not an easy task. Right? People are challenging. People are complicated. Right? We are challenging. I, Tim Morose, am challenging and complicated at times. Right. There's a, a running joke that uh, uh, that I've heard in a couple of pastor circles where uh, they say that ministry would be great if it wasn't for all the people. Right. And that's a, that's a ridiculous because ministry is about the people. Right. The whole point of ministry is people. And so uh, that's that's the joke. It's a bad joke, but it's OK. It's the best one I've got. Um, you know, all of us are going through different uh, stages of personal health and uh, and maturity. All of us are going through different stages of emotional health and maturity, of spiritual health and maturity. We're all going through various life challenges and sprinkle a little bit of, uh, of uh, you know, relational conflict in there. Uh, and we get to be in a pretty unbearable situation pretty quickly. Right? I would say... I think I could very confidently say that the vast majority of the people that I have met do not like conflict. 
right? They don't enjoy conflict. There's a few of us that have a couple of loose light bulbs that kind of enjoy the thrill of the conflict, right? The drama of it all. Uh, but for the most part, most people don't like conflict, right? And so this morning, uh, we're going to take a look at the book of James, the passage that Zeke read earlier, and we're going to ask the question, why do we have conflict? And what do we do about it? Right? Why do we have conflict and what do we do about it? Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, uh, even as I, uh, as I teach this morning, I just ask that you would be present, that you would speak through me, that you would guard my mouth to not say things that are uh, not biblical or not helpful, but that you would speak your truth and your word to our hearts, that, that, that the, the, the message that is shared this morning, I pray, Jesus, that it would be uh, uh, relevant and applicable and life-changing and challenging to every single person in our church and anyone who's listening online. Uh, so we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to do what only you can do, uh, to take my simple words and to use them in a profound way. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, the book of James is one of the most practical books of the Bible, okay? Uh, it has been called by some the Proverbs of the New Testament because it's filled with wise sayings and practical commands. It, uh, it also contains some of the most challenging commands that you'll find in the New Testament, things like uh, rejoice when you encounter various trials, Right? That's not an easy to command to, for us to live out, to rejoice when I'm going through difficulties and challenges, right? Uh, a couple of verses later, he'll say, uh, be doers of the word and not just hearers, right? Don't just sit there and listen to the word. Don't just sit there and read and let it go in one ear and out the other, but you actually have to put it into practice. You have to, uh, you have, to have a practical theology, right? A couple of verses later, we'll read uh, that faith without works is actually dead, Right? If you say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, I believe in God, I believe that this is how I'm supposed to live, but you don't live that way, your faith is dead. Right? These are challenging and, uh, and, and difficult commands for us to, to live by. The book of James is also highly practical. Uh, and it's highly relational. It's beautiful. If, if, you, if you've read through the book of James recently, it's a beautiful book that's really practical and really relational. You know, early on, he, he starts out by uh, encouraging people to avoid favoritism and, and, and partiality. And, uh, and a couple of verses later, he talks about the power of our tongues when we're, when we're dealing with our relationships with, with one another. He's, he compares it to a few things. He said, our tongue is kind of like a, a rudder on a ship. Right? How big is the ship and how small is the rudder? And yet that one little rudder can turn the ship wherever it wants. Right? Or, for example, he compares it to the, a bit in a horse's mouth. How big is the horse and how tiny is that little bit? And yet you can control where the horse goes just with that tiny little bit. Uh, and he says our tongues are dangerous. Right? It's kind of like a, a little fire that you start in the desert, in that desert, in the in the woods, at, in order to stay warm. But if you don't, uh, if you don't create a little fire, you know, ring with rocks, and if you don't uh, take care of it, and uh, and if you neglect it, that could actually lead to a, a massive forest fire, and it could create incredible amounts of destruction. Right, that's our tongues. Right, they are powerful. They are dangerous. Right, and for the most part. In the book of James, uh, the majority of his language is very tender and loving. Right? He calls his recipients brothers and sisters. He wants to encourage them, to strengthen them, to challenge them. But something happens in chapter 4, and James' is, his, his language shifts. All of a sudden, uh, he becomes a little bit more stern. He becomes a little bit more blunt. Right? He's about to address something that is serious and it's very dangerous in this community. Right? And he needs them to take it seriously. 
Right? Take a look at James chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Right? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So James recognizes, okay, there's some sort of relational tensions and conflict going on in my hearers and my readers in these in these churches. Uh, and he's hinted at this over the course of the book, and he's going to address it head on right here. It's going to be direct. It's going to be blunt. Uh, but it's intended to be a loving message that's drawing the church to repentance. Right, and this is a good place for me to pause and say that, you know, as pastors, Eric and I, we have the privilege uh, of, of walking alongside of each of, uh, of you as, as we learn what it looks like to follow the way of Jesus. Right, it's beautiful. We love it. Walking alongside of each of you. Right? It's also, at times, our responsibility uh, to speak into areas of weakness, areas of growth, areas of sin. Um, and even as we do that, I want to be very clear here. We don't, we don't speak into this from a lofty position as if we are perfect and you're not. Right? We are human just as you are. We are sinful just as you are. Oftentimes we're in need of the very same uh, uh, growth and, and correction as anyone else. And so before we get too far into this message, I want to say that what, what I'm about to teach on is being taught in love, with grace. And I, my hope is that you don't feel condemned. My hope is that you feel uh, um, uh, loved and cherished and pushed towards Jesus in this moment. Right? We are in this together. Um, if you're new to gospel or if you're listening uh, on Facebook Live right now and you don't really know too much about our church, you're, you'll pretty quickly figure out that most of us are friends. Uh, we don't have everyone represented on our, on our screen here. We've got a lot of folks that, are, that, are, uh, uh, that, are, that have kids that are wrestling with daylight savings time right now. And so they're either watching live, they're going to ca- uh, catch up with us later. Uh, but we're, we're a tight-knit community. Some of us have moved here together. Some of us have met while we have been here. And uh, most of us have become very close friends friends as a result of being in this church uh, together. Uh, we love welcoming others into this community. Um, one of my favorite things is actually seeing new friendships develop, right? Developing new friendships, meeting new people, right? I love getting to know uh, uh, the people that I meet through this church. Uh, I love hearing the stories of how uh, Jesus has moved and worked in them, how God has, uh, what God has brought them through and how the Holy Spirit is currently working their lives. I love hearing those stories, but, uh, you know, new friendships uh, they're a lot like new marriages, right? They go through the honeymoon phase, right? If you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You meet a new friend, you click, you get along, and, and you, and you want to be on your best behavior, right? You want to be uh, uh, extra caring and extra loving towards the people that you're meeting, your new friends. You're, it's easy to overlook small offenses and to give the benefit of the doubt because you're new friends, right? Um, however... Uh, in any friendship, any new friendship, just like in any marriage, the honeymoon phase eventually comes to an end. Sometimes it comes to an end with a crash. Right? The longer that we know one another, uh, the more obvious our weaknesses and flaws become. Right? The harder it becomes to let little things slide. Right? The easier it becomes to get annoyed with one another's quirks. Right? We all have quirks. 
right? It gets a little bit easier to get annoyed by those quirks. And eventually, uh, that bubble is burst, right? And conflict arises. It's easy to think early on into a friendship that we're never going to fight, we're never going to disagree, we're never going to have massive issues or fallouts. That's just simply not true. Right? You've experienced this. You know that that's not true. All relationships experience conflict and tension, but that is not necessarily bad. And you're going to hear me say this time and time again. You'll hear this state stated all throughout this series. Right? Conflict in friendships, in relationships, conflict will either destroy a relationship or it will deepen it. Right? Conflict will either destroy a relationship or it will deepen it. Yeah, conflict could kill a friendship. But it can also bring an incredible amount of depth and intimacy to that relationship. I would even go so far as to say that without conflict, there will be no intimacy in a relationship. Right? You need that conflict, that fiery trial that you go through together to, to burn away all of the, 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 the masks that we put on, the faces we put on, so we can see one another truly and, and know and be known and be in relationship with one another. And this is the gospel, isn't it? Right? This is the truth of the gospel. Jesus is incredible love and sacrifice for us while we were sinners. Right? That is what draws us into depth and intimacy with him. All of this hinges, however, on how you and I respond to and deal with the conflict that we are uh, going through. Right? It all hinges on how we respond to our conflict. You know, study after study have shown that, you know, when we find ourselves in places, uh, positions of danger, you know, physical danger, we tend to have one of two responses, fight or flight, right? You're familiar with this. Um, you know, when someone, uh, when you're walking down the street late at night and you and someone comes at you with a knife to rob you, okay, you're going to have a fight or flight response. You're either going to run or you're going to, you know, get ready to uh, to, to fight, right? When you're hiking in the woods and you and you come across a bear, Right, you're going to have a fight or flight response and, I, and you're probably going to lose. Just let, let's be honest. The bear's going to outrun you or he's going to eat you. Well, you're just, it's a lose-lose situation. Uh, you come home, maybe think back to high school. You come home and you're, and you're, and you're past curfew. Right? You walk into the living room, you sneak in and mom is sitting right there. You're going to have a fight or flight response. Again, you're going to lose. Okay, It's a lose-lose situation. Right? There's no surviving that one. Uh, something similar happens to us when we have relational conflict with one another as well, right? Some of us, uh, we tend to respond by fighting. We're fighters, right? We, we want to tackle the issue head on. We want to confront the issue with the person. We want to call it how it is. Uh, whether the other person is ready to address or deal with the issue or not, we're going to make them ready to address this issue, right? We often justify this response by calling it speaking the truth, I'm going to speak the truth to this person. Uh, the problem is, uh, if you're a fighter, uh, you, we tend to do more harm than good when we approach conflict in this way. Right? Yes, it's important to deal with conflict directly. Yes, it's important to deal with it quickly. But it's important not to bulldoze people into peace. Right? That's not helpful for anyone. So some of us respond to conflict by by becoming fighters, we want to tackle it head on. Some of us respond to conflict by being fleers. Like we run from it. We we take the approach of frozen, conceal, don't feel. 
right? Uh, we don't like conflict. We don't know how to deal with it well. We need time to process and think through our responses. And eventually enough time passes that we're not even sure if we can bring this up anymore uh, or if we even want to. Right, Water has got, gone under the bridge. The problem with this response is that we often wait too long and we never end up addressing it. Right? We justify this approach by calling it showing grace. I'm just going to show grace here. Right? But what we're really doing is sweeping things under the rug until eventually I build up enough uh, resentment and, and anger towards that person that I either implode or I explode on the people around me. Right. I would argue that the vast majority of our churches in that second category were fleers, right? But there are a couple of us that are fighters, and that's okay. We need we need both. Uh, before we continue, I need to formally and publicly apologize for what I'm about to say, right? Um, if you're lactose intolerant, this is a, this is just your warning right here, okay? I, I I borrowed what I'm about to say from another pastor, and it's so incredibly cheesy that I just need to formally apologizes, but I promise you it will help you remember this, right? If your tendency is to respond to conflict uh, by being a fighter, by fighting, by being a blunt force that just pushes through the conflict, chances are you are actually a peace breaker, right? You are a peace breaker, right? You cause more damage than you think you do. If your tendency, however, is to respond to conflict by fleeing, you sweep it under the rug, you show grace, you you pretend like uh, uh, like like you're not really that offended. You're actually being a peace faker. Okay, cheese upon cheese. All right, this is the the finest of cheese. Right, uh, peace fakers they create a false sense of peace. And listen, you might think that you're preserving the relationship but you're actually ruining your opportunity for deep biblical community. Jesus does not call us to be peace breakers or peace fakers. Jesus calls us to be peacemakers. Okay, cheesy moment over. But I promise you, you will not forget that. Let's jump back into James. Uh, James asks a a super critical question in verse 1. Right? Why do we fight? And he answers it, immediately. I love it, right? Here's the question. Here's the answer. Let's move right into it. He says, it's because our passions are at war within us. And this this word passions is important. James chooses it intentionally. He could have used a different word here, but he chose this word. It's the Greek word hedone, right? And it literally means pleasures or sinful desires. It's where we get the, the, the American word, the English word hedonism, right? Hedonism is the pursuit of sinful self-indulgent pleasures, Right? What causes uh, of fighting amongst us? It's our own sinfulness, our own sinful desires that are within us. And church, this is so critically important for us to grasp. If we're ever going to be peacemakers, this right here is so critical. Right? James is telling us that our inner desires, they play a critical role in the conflict and tension around us. In other words, before we start looking around at, and start pointing fingers at who is the reason why I have conflict, I actually need to start looking it within. I need to examine my own heart. Isn't that what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7? When he says, before you deal with the speck in your brother's eye, go ahead and take out the plank in your own. Right? I'm, I'm worrying about the piece of dust in your eye, but well, I've got a two by four sticking out of mine. Right? Jesus is saying you gotta you gotta deal with yourself first. 
And he gives us, James gives us an example in verse two and three. He says, you know, you see something that someone else has and in your heart, you start to covet that. You want what they have. And so you start to scheme and try to figure out how do I get this thing? How do I get that? You get it from them or get it on my own. And in my heart, I start to grow resentful and angry towards them. And Jesus has already told us that when we are angry, when we have anger in our hearts towards a brother, it's the same as we're just as guilty of murder in that moment as if we actually did it. Right? And this leads us to fighting and quarreling. And ironically, ironically, Jesus, uh, James says, if you had asked God for that thing, he would have given it to you. As long as you had asked for the right motives. And this is where James has to change his tone. Right? He gets stern. He gets blunt. Because he wants this church to repent. Right, James chapter 4, verse 4, he says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And James is using this imagery of an adulterous relationship here uh, to point out how these believers are actually being unfaithful to God. All right, this is not an uncommon metaphor uh, in the Bible. Right? In the Old Testament, this, the, the metaphor of marriage is often used to, uh, to help us understand what, it, what, what a relationship with God is like. In the New Testament, we're even, we even go so far as to say that the church is the bride of Christ. Right? Again, using this metaphor of marriage. And the sad part here is this. Uh, when Christians call themselves children of God and, and then act like the world, they are, they are just like those who are being unfaithful and adulterous in their relationships, in their marriages. That is a hard word to hear. When I claim to be a follower of Jesus, but then act and live like the world, James says, it's, a, it's as if I'm cheating on my wife. Right? These believers, they were living in their sinful desires rather than living in the Spirit. Church, uh, when we have conflict with one another and don't deal with it, we're being unfaithful to God. When we hurt one another and fail to repent, we're being unfaithful to God. When we gossip about one another, calling it venting or, or whatever, we are being unfaithful to God. When we talk to everyone except for the person that I have an issue with, we're being unfaithful to God. Whether you're a person who uh, confronts others and, and tries to be the fighter uh, and you don't do it with grace and love, you're being unfaithful to God. And when I sweep things under the rug in the name of grace, in the name of uh, you know, avoiding the conflict and the tension, that is me being unfaithful to God. This is not how the church responds. This is how the world responds. Right? We are the children of God, made new in Christ, redeemed and transformed, and our lives ought to be different. If that's hitting you hard like it hits me hard 
you about now should be feeling a thing that we call the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He's pointing out an area of our lives that needs to needs to align with, with God. Um, and I love that James, he jumps right into grace. Right, Verse 6, he says, but he gives, God gives more grace. Thank God for grace. This grace, however, it's not available to just anyone. There are some conditions and qualifiers in order to experience the grace of God. Right? What are those conditions and qualifiers? Read on, verse 6. But he gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be uh, be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Right, James um, he quotes Proverbs 3.34. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is a, a proverb that is quoted all throughout the New, the New Testament. right? Um, uh, Peter talks uses this quote. Jesus uses this quote. It is a key staple uh, principle all throughout the scriptures. Right? God is opposed to the proud. Literally, his hand of opposition is on those who are proud. But those who are humble will receive grace. Uh, Here's the bottom line, church. Here's the bottom line. Um, Everything, when it comes to peacemaking, everything rises and falls on humility. When it comes to peacemaking, everything rises and falls on humility. I am never going to pause and examine the plank in my own eye unless I have humility, right? I am never going to address a conflict with grace and love and tact unless I have humility, right? I'm never, and this is the kicker, I'm never gonna even, if you come to me in order to tell me a way that I've hurt you, I won't even be able to hear it unless I have humility, I will always fall into the trap of being a peace breaker or a peace faker. And in the process, I will experience the the opposition of God on my life. Everything rises and falls on humility. Uh, And so just to wrap this up, James, he gives him a couple of practical steps. I don't have to go really deep into each of these because James is already so practical and so, uh, so, uh, so applicable. And so he gives him a couple of practical steps in order to humble themselves, repent of their unfaithfulness and resolve their quarrels and fights. And here, here they are. Okay. And just as a note, before we jump into these, uh, this, this entire uh, segment here, uh, it is, is chock full of temple language. Right. This is the this is the step. This very same steps that you would have to take if you were in the Old Testament going to the temple to offer uh, a sacrifice for your sins. You would have to go through these very same steps in order to come into the presence of God. He says, number one, we have to submit ourselves to God. 
right? This means that I need to align myself under God. The word hupotasso, right, is the Greek word for submit, right? And it's the same word that you would use in the military. When, the, when a commanding officer says, we've got to go here, we've got to go now, we've got to do this this way, you don't say, well, I've got some other options. You know, I'm thinking about doing it this other way. No, you submit immediately and you align yourself under that command. And so submitting to God means placing ourselves under his lordship and committing ourselves to obey him in all things. Right? Step one, we submit ourselves to God. Step two, you resist the devil. All throughout the scriptures, it's clear that the devil is here to isolate, separate, and destroy us. Right? We're made in the image of God. He's already defeated. He's trying to take out as many people along the way as he can. Right? And so when you are uh, in, in, in encountering conflict and you feel this temptation to, to fight or flee, we have to recognize that this is actually the devil's hand at work among us. And it's crazy. James says that if we resist the devil, he's actually going to flee from us. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. Number three, draw near to God. We do this by confessing and repenting of our sins. We do this by pursuing uh, uh, Jesus in the, in the scriptures and in prayer and in other spiritual disciplines. And this possibly one of the most encouraging and one of my favorite promises in the entire Bible is right here. The promise is that if I draw near to God, he's going to draw near to me. Right? That means it doesn't matter how far I've run from God. It doesn't matter how deep I've fallen into sin. It doesn't matter um, how much I have forsaken what I believe if I take a step towards God, he promises to take a step towards me. That's beautiful. That's encouraging. So we're told that we need to submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to God, and then cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, and weep. This is Old Testament imagery at its finest. Right? These were the actions, what James is describing here, these were the actions of a humble child of God who is convicted of their sin, who is coming to the temple to cleanse themselves, purify their hearts, and they're weeping over their sinfulness, and they're turning and falling on the grace and mercy of God. Right? Jesus tells a parable in, in Luke uh, about a, a tax collector that comes to the temple to pray. Right? And, he's, and he says there's a Pharisee who's standing in a prominent part of the temple and he's praying a little extra loud and he's got his nicest Sunday outfit on and he looks good and he sounds good and he prays really, really well. And, uh, and then uh, the, compared to him, there's this other tax collectors and tax collectors, you know, are the, 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 um, the, uh, the filth of society. Right? They are literally stealing and robbing from God's people. This tax collector, he says, is standing far off. He won't even look up into the heavens. Instead, he just beats his own breast and he cries, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know what Jesus says about those two people? Uh, he says that the tax collector is the one that goes home justified. Right? This is the attitude and the heartbeat of those who are humbly recognizing their own brokenness and sinfulness and dealing with their uh, their sinful desires. Do you want to be a peacemaker? Right? It starts with an internal examination of my own desires. Right? It starts with a surgical removal of the plank from my eye. 
All right, it starts with a return to humility. The first step of peacemaking is not to go deal with, with, with someone else. The first step of peacemaking is to deal with me. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we need to hear that you are opposed to the proud, but you give grace to the humble, because we need a lot of grace. All right? We are consistently and constantly failing to live the way that you call us to live. Uh, and we, we survive only because of your grace. Lord Jesus, would you make us a humble people? that examine our hearts and confess our sinful desires long before we go to, uh, uh, to confront or address any kind of conflict with one another. We love you, Jesus. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.